I'm here with Paul Priot, the co-founder of Bioflux, an innovative company working to jointly address waste and energy challenges in Europe through Prolysis Technologies, creating renewable energy and valuable biochar in the process. Welcome, welcome, Paul, and thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, and it's a pleasure to be here. This week, we saw the Commission hosting the European Sustainable Energy Week. And just two days ago, during one of the sessions, Energy, Sim Energy Commissioner Kadri Simpson and Executive Vice President Timmermans inaugurated the Industrial Biomethane Partnership, highlighting the drive and motivation to make good on the commitments in Repower EU for scaling up our use of domestic bio-based energy sources to address the prevailing energy trilemma, that being price, security and sustainability. So first of all, I'd just like to ask you, what is Bioflux and what niche are you trying to occupy and what motivates you to do it? So uh, Bioflux is a project that I started uh, two years ago with my co-founder, Julian Cortes. Uh, we're good friends from university and we always wanted to address essentially climate issues in our work. Um, but we felt a little bit frustrated by some of the inaction or some of the things that we saw being developed. Um, and we stumbled upon an amazing product called Biochar. Uh, and we decided for a year and a half to really study everything that was related to it, to talk to a lot of different people. Uh, and essentially from that, so we created Bioflex. So Bioflex is in the business of accelerating carbon removal. We assist companies that want to do carbon removal using biochar, and we assist companies that have biochar to make sure that they can sell their biochar and they find the right applications. It's a quite novel product, so we need to help people essentially in how do you apply it, how do you produce it, um, who do you sell it to, what prices are essentially answering all of these, these questions, providing our know-how and our expertise essentially to, to really accelerate carbon removal, as I said. Um, so that's the niche that we're trying to occupy, really accelerating biochar-based carbon removal. And this is really essentially also what motivates us, is that it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing product, biochar. You can use it for many applications, ranging from agriculture to construction to fabrics to plastics. Um, so there's a range of industries. There's 55 recognized applications of biochar. Um, so what motivates us is also really being able to address uh, climate change in many different industries using this one simple product, which is really not that, uh, that new of a product. Oh, indeed. Very exciting stuff. And it seems like it hits this kind of intersection between the waste world, if I understand it well, using waste products, bio-based resources that we have here in Europe to create essentially two products. It's biochar that you explained and also energy and heat yeah. as a byproduct. Yeah, so that's maybe something that I didn't touch upon, but uh, indeed, so our, our motivation came from, from biochar. But uh, very quickly, we came to realize when you're trying to create financial models of how this all works, you need to take into account that you need to produce energy. Or while you're producing energy through pyrolysis, you're, you're, you have an excess of energy that can be sold or can be converted to different types of energy. So you really need to also touch upon this, uh, this, uh, this part of the process. And this is indeed also an amazing part when you can realize that you're not only addressing 55 different industries potentially, yeah. uh, but also addressing the, the energy transition, essentially, which is uh, one of the most uh, carbon emission uh, producing industries. No, so, indeed, quite right. And it sounds like you're dealing with quite significant quantities of energy in the end, correct? Yeah. Um, so we, uh, I mean, it can vary depending on the installations, but uh, it can range from a few megawatts to a few gigawatts, depending on the type of installations that we're looking at. Um, and so that's also where we try to position ourselves is as providing tailor-made solutions. So not every type of industry or every type of uh, 
energy consumer essentially has the same energy needs and not every waste producer um, has can put the same type of waste in the same type of machines. There's yep. different types of solutions that are out there. And our goal is essentially to assist people in choosing the right technology, making sure that it's a fit to their, uh, to their, to their needs, essentially. And how have you found your experience so far working in this space and the adoption of these technologies? Because you're trying to bridge these two worlds. Sure. Are they well coordinated? Do you see uh, the appropriate regulatory environment or incentives in order to uh, create the right conditions for allowing these kind of technologies to flourish? I do think so on the one hand. I think, um, I mean, we all know about the climate crisis that we're facing. We I mean, especially now, today, when we're recording this, we're talking about the, the energy crisis also. Um, so we're at the right moment um, regarding whether deregulation is really there. I think there's, I mean, there's a lot of regulation about the energy transition. Uh, but unfortunately, we also saw that uh, pyrolysis, uh, pyrogenic carbon capture and storage, uh, so pyrolysis essentially, is not taken into the EU taxonomy for sustainable uh, practices or activities. Um, so on the one hand, you see uh, the change in this er in, uh, regulatory framework where biochar is finally being recognized since two months ago as a product that can be used in agriculture. Um, but then you don't really see incentives for people to do investments into yeah. the machines that produce biochar. Yeah. So before we had essentially a bottleneck where we had um, we couldn't use the biochar in soils. That's been resolved. But now we essentially have, uh, we'll probably have an increasing demand for biochar because of all the benefits it provides for soils. But we might see essentially a lack of investments into these types of solutions, okay. even though it's an amazing solution. I mean, I'm biased, of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, yeah, that's maybe one of the things that I see. So you really have big ambitions, uh, but you need the investments. So yep. if you're looking at um, at the types of investments that we need to really scale these types of solutions, you're talking about billions annually. We're talking about 300 to 400 billion years, uh, euros being invested annually to really scale these types of green tech solutions. Right. By the way, this this budget is bigger than the French uh, national budget. Um, so it's a, it's a huge amount. Um, and if we don't create these types of regulatory frameworks, these investments will never happen. Um, and if we don't create incentives for private companies to, to, to do these types of investments, so they were talking about like the EU taxonomy on, uh, on energy or uh, renewable energy production, uh, there you see that like nuclear is being taken into account and natural gas is being taken into account, but pyrolysis is yet to be taken into account, yep. even though it's a, it's a quite good solution. It's being recommended by the IPCC. Um, so uh, you really see a little, essentially like on the one hand, it's moving. On the other hand, it's still struggling to catch up onto uh, yep. the needs essentially of the industry. No, that's very interesting. And would you say you see part of the issue of that as being... Uh, the different sort of silos of policy making or regulatory framework setting as being a little bit too specific, perhaps, in not seeing the uh, added value across different sectors of uh, sustainability drive. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think um, I think there's definitely probably a little bit of a silo issue. Um, I do think the EU is trying to address this as much as possible, um, but you have the EU relies on the, on its member states. To achieve its ambitions, um, and that's also some something where you see a difference uh, in the speed at which some of these technologies are being adopted. 
so I think, I mean, don't quote me on this, but I think it's anywhere around, it's uh, somewhere around 35% of the biochar market is currently being held by, by Germany. Right, okay. um, the first projects or biomass based pyrolysis uh, projects yeah. uh, started in, uh, in Sweden, in Stockholm, very interesting case study. Uh, but very quickly, other countries, which were more, let's say, forward thinking in their policy approach, where they first they first develop these types of installations, they use the products, and then they, they monitor how it affects, and then they create a policy essentially for it. They create a favorable environment for this innovation to scale up. Yeah. Um, and then afterwards, they, they constantly monitor and they adapt. Uh, and so now they have a huge segment of the market. But then you have other countries such as Belgium, France, which are more um, bureaucratic, let's say. Uh, where they analyze for a few years first what are the what are the case studies what do they show how do our tests essentially what results do they show and then the framework the the, the, regulation, the regulation follows comes, yeah. um, and so really that hampers innovation to a certain extent uh, because you see that these typical players which are more innovation friendly they they, they scale up these technologies quite rapidly yeah um, but then you see other member states falling behind so it's really also about this a little bit of this approach um, and if uh, if we had more member states that had a more let's say forward thinking approach and use biochar and produce, you had pyrolysis solutions, then you might see the EU regulation also translating uh, this translating into EU regulation. So it's really re a reliance on its national members yeah. uh, to push for this type of adoption of solutions. And I think that's maybe where it's falling behind a little bit. Um, right. yeah, there's too many European regulations for me to, to follow. No, I can imagine. And uh, from what I understand, you work mostly at the national level in these countries, as you say, Belgium, also in France, and there's learnings to take from other member states around. It seems like uh, there is opportunity perhaps for sharing of best practices, which is perhaps being missed at the moment. Or it's, So that's, uh, I mean, this is really where you see the public versus the private, right? So I think... Um, on the let's say it, it is a private organization, but so there's the European Biochar Industry Consortium, which was founded uh, I think in 2019, um, and there you do see that there's a sharing of best practices. I think they posted recently that they went from seven members at the beginning of last year to 70 members by now. Okay. So you see that the industry is growing. There's a lot of people who want to jump into the industry. Um, and so they all look at the European uh, Biochar Industry Consortium, the EBI, um, to, to, see, to share best practices, to have a network. So we do, we do talk. Yeah. Um, we are, it's a very open environment in that sense. Um, I don't know if at the European level there's also as much talk, essentially. Uh, but they do, these are the people, so this, this consortium are the people that push for these legislations and will define what the criteria are in, com in discussion with uh, the Commission. So you do see a little bit of a yeah, very good. That's encouraging. And would you say that the yeah the currently the current energy trilemma as we have it is helping to catalyze this conversation? You were talking to me earlier before we started recording about your projects that you're trying to work on in industrial clusters, for example, in imports or other these kind of working in these very energy intensive sectors yeah. where they require a, a lot of heat and a lot of energy. We know that due to the the price uh, crisis that we're experiencing at the moment, lots of this heavy industry that requires enormous amount of energy has become uncompetitive in Europe and is potentially looking elsewhere for relocation, uh, which is yeah potentially quite problematic. Do you think there's a role for these kind of innovative solutions in providing cost-effective heat, cost-effective energy, and 
now is maybe the right moment to move fast on this? I mean, I, I don't think there's ever a wrong moment. I think this is a, the, the current scenario or the current situation um, favors essentially these yeah. types of solutions and the growth of our industry. I definitely think we have a, a role to play in uh, promoting energy decentralization, energy independence, uh, all these types of concepts. And especially because pyrolysis is uh, able to produce uh, different uh, gas, syngas, uh, which can also be converted or can produce heat or can convert syngas into electricity, heat into electricity, into steam, into different types of energy needs. So we can respond to a, little, a lot of different demands. Even uh, hydrogen, right? Even hydrogen, yes, of course. That's a more novel uh, development uh, where you see this transition. Um, so we can respond to a lot of different energy needs uh, and we can provide qu quite large amounts. So we do see that there's a, a lot of opportunities, uh, but being a young company and being a young player, I'm only 26 years old, um, you do see that there's a little bit of, um, you need to create credibility. And that's sure. really the first part of our process of our, of our project essentially is working with partners to create credibility so that we can later scale up these solutions quite fast. Uh, but for the moment, it's uh, the opportunities is endless. Um, but uh, the reception is a little bit more iffy. So they're a yeah. little bit more, uh, they, they're careful, you know. And, and of course, we're also competing with, uh, with big energy players. Um, the, the typical companies such as, uh, I mean, I won't name any names, but there's a typical, you can imagine them. Um, and so you're competing also with these types of players, which have much more capital to yeah. develop these types of solutions, can take many more risks. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and they're much more trusted even though uh, some of their practices might not always be as good as as, as new startups are trying to, to promote. Sure. Well, I've been planning to ask you about your experience as a startup and as a young individual in this space, but I think you've covered that very eloquently there in, in that point. So, and I think it's also very timely because, well, to bring it full circle to what we opened with for a bit of context, this um, Sustainable Energy Week conference uh, that's been going on for the past week was also with a very strong emphasis on youth and trying yeah. to get youth participation in part of this dialogue. So it's really encouraging to see that yeah, companies like yours are innovating in this space and trying yeah. to provide added value and uh, are being taken seriously. That's really encouraging. So Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, uh, there's a, a lot of role for youth in the energy transition. I'm currently part of the European Youth Energy Forum, uh, which is essentially a forum that will take place in Lisbon in November. Uh, and we're planning, in a sense, planning essentially a document to, to talk about the role of the youth in the energy transition. New players essentially emerging how can we integrate the youth into, into these environmental and energy related uh, issues? Um, so I think there's definitely a space for us. Um, it's a question of how can we create an, a favorable environment to, to get young people to be interested in sure. these types of issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it starts with uh, ambassadors like yourself. So I think it's very important work that you do in that regard. And just I, I'd like to close out with um, a final question and I give you the freedom to talk about it. We're at the moment here in Brussels in Belgium, if you'd like to talk in a Belgian context, French context, whatever is appropriate for you, or indeed the European context of if you had an ask uh, as regards policy going forwards um, yeah, to the European Commission or whatever kind of regulatory authority for what you think is required to help try and facilitate innovation for technologies that can provide solutions for decarbonization? I think it's uh, what we talked about in the beginning. It's creating a favorable uh, regulatory environment, essentially to um, 
yeah, to to get us uh, to to support the investments into these types of solutions. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that are happening that are going in the right direction. So there's the energy tra- taxation that will be happening. Yep. that will push more people to use our types of solutions. So that's already good. Uh, the main thing I would push more for is, is again this first dysregulation, which will in in the second half, a second part, lead to more investments. Yeah. Um, both from private and public officials uh, or individuals. Um, so I think yeah, so regulation led by and then followed by by investments. I think that would be a great start, of course. Um, and then yeah, more sharing of best practices. Uh, this will lead to the scaling up of the solution. And I mean, that's what we're trying to position ourselves is is, uh, is empowering biochar heroes, is as we say it. Um, and uh, and yeah, so really supporting each other, helping each other, not creating a closed market, but talking, sharing um, and learning from one another. That's the only way to move forward. All right. Thank you very much, Paul. It was a pleasure to chat with you. We'll put all the details for Bioflux and uh, Paul's uh, personal accounts in the in the notes if you want to fo- if anyone listening would like to follow up. And uh, yeah, thanks again. It was a pleasure to chat. Thank you for having me and uh, good luck with uh, the rest of your projects.